Welcome to the HR Like a Boss podcast. I'm your host, John Bernadovich. Thank you so much for listening. Please consider liking, commenting, subscribing, and sharing with a friend. I've embarked on a journey to get to know amazingly awesome HR and business professionals with the hope to find out what it takes to do HR like a boss. Hello, and on today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Holly Peasley. Holly and I connected through a mutual business relationship that our companies established just a few months ago. So Holly, welcome to the HR Like a Boss podcast. Thanks, John. It's good to see you. Excited to be here. So for those that don't know you, Holly, maybe share a little bit about your background and what your company does. Yes, for sure. So I probably have a little bit of a different background than a lot of the folks that you have on this show. Um, so I am the chief of staff of IDME. IDME is a rapidly growing tech company. We are a secure digital identity, identity network helping our 64 million members and counting secure and control their own identity online. Our vision is to build the identity layer of the internet, providing a secure digital identity, identity network that upholds consumer privacy and accessibility. So as we continue to grow, and we're growing tremendously right now, we are continuing to kind of help the U.S. evolve how we think about digital identity and, and continuing to work to create a portable digital identity for everyone that they can trust. And so as chief of staff at IDME, my role is to function as essentially an extension of our CEO, Blake Hall, and to add capacity to key IDME functions and teams at critical times to ensure successful execution on high priority tasks. And so this is kind of what led me to human resources at IDME. And I've been really fortunate to get to work really closely with the HR team and really embed within this function quite deeply. Um, IDME has experienced exponential growth over the last year and a half. Our tech team alone has grown over 600% in counting, and HR is obviously incredibly important in supporting a company and its employees through large growth spurts like this. And so when I first joined IDME back in June, um, Blake identified HR as a top priority for him, given this growth and the transformation that we're currently experiencing. And so I've had a lot of fun working, again, really closely with the team since then, you know, core HR, um, rewards and learning and development, as well as talent acquisition. Awesome. So for our listeners, you can tell why I've, I've asked to have Holly on the show. So hyper growth company in a technology that's everyone nowadays certainly understands with the heightened security issues and the, the, the cyber challenges that are going on in our world. And it's affecting not only us at home, but at work every single day. I know there's all kinds of advancements and enhancements and changes to that every minute is my sense of it. It's like, it's like, as soon as you figure it out, something else came along to make it better, more secure. And with that hyper growth and Holly's integration into the HR function, which is primarily what our conversations have been about from a business standpoint, I just thought it was so appealing to have a chief of staff supporting a hyper growth company and an innovative CEO connected to an HR function and their support. So I really appreciate uh, the perspective that Blake has on how important it is to have really great people to scale and grow your business. And it's, a, it's, an, it's an aspect that I'm super curious about how companies do it effectively. So we should have a ton of fun in the next 15 minutes for all those listening in. So Holly, I start all guests out with my question high level of how would you describe the purpose of human resources? Yes. So 
for me, the way I think about human resources is that it's really the intersection point of company-wide and business objectives and business success with personal kind of individual developmental goals and success. It's this layer that kind of permeates all aspects of a company, you know, all teams, all people, um, and really does drive that connection between the personal objectives and the company-wide objectives. There's obviously a lot of components to it across, you know, rewards and HR systems and talent acquisition onboarding, um, but it really does touch people throughout their entire life cycle through the company from, you know, again, talent acquisition and onboarding to, um, you know, promotions, developmental conversations, those, those personal growth moments all the way through the end. And it's through that life cycle, how it connects those people to enable further business um, goals and success is, is, I think, kind of really what, what HR means. Yeah, I've heard HR mention the aisle. They sit between the personal aspiration of the employees and the strategic business goals of the business, and they have to marry those two together. At times, they're in conflict or there's different aspirations that both sides want to achieve. So HR gets to balance that. It's always a unique challenge. And one of the things you mentioned is trying to aspire to goals. And what I've found is uh, really true, successful human resource professionals are able to support their employees and managers with this, this dirty four-letter word that's not four letters of accountability. <laughs> and I know, I, I'm just curious as to, as you've been part of this hyper-growth at IDME, what are you seeing as, a, as it relates to, to accountability around uh, HR supporting your managers and employees? Yeah, I think it's it's a really great question. Um, something that we believe deeply at IDME is that culture is not just a set of beliefs, it's what you do. And obviously um, kind of a core responsibility of HR is building and maintaining and instilling a culture in people, whether it's through again, compensation or talent acquisition or you know how employees interact with each other. And so when it comes to embracing accountability, I think um, that resonates really deeply with me because you can't just tell people what to do or what's expected of them. You have to find a way to really effectively hold people accountable and have people hold themselves accountable. And so in my opinion, it's, um, you know, holding people accountable um, effectively is kind of a two-step process. I think part one of it is the communication of expectations and, and you know, role, rules and roles and responsibilities. Um, and so making that communication very clear and, and very um, upfront and transparent for people. And then I think the second big piece of embracing accountability is establishing efficient processes through effective cadences that provide managers and teams access to data and information regularly. Um, a big uh, a cultural value at IDME is to communicate like a scientist. And so data is everything for us. And to the extent possible, anytime we're able to use data, rely on data, bring data into a conversation or a decision, we believe that that really drives results and you know increases the efficacy and the efficiency with which we do things. 
And so when it comes to holding people accountable to the extent that we're able to provide access um, to data and transparency around data so that managers can see for themselves, you know, how they're doing, what progress they're driving, what output they're yielding and, and see for themselves, you know, where they're going and how they're tracking against it, then they're actually empowered to hold themselves accountable as much as, you know, any team or person or leader is holding them accountable. So I think that's kind of a big piece of it for us at IDME. Yeah, no, it's great insight. Two things stick out to me, Holly, as you were sharing that. One is integrating that into the interview process so that you can have real life examples, behavior-based questions of how have you and your prior manager had conversations around accountability? What did that feel like to you? How did they go about doing it? What were the results that mm -hmm. came as, as that dialogue? And then I also remember my business partner and CPA friend coined, well, the first time I heard it was that numbers never lie unless maybe you're involved in a Ponzi scheme or it's a television <laughs> program to make it look better than it is. But the numbers really do never lie. So I love that science aspect of it because there are elements that people need to understand that the counting of accountability, there's, there's a component of that that's really important. So to that point, so accountability to me has a lot of that expectation, the process, hiring the right people, but there's also the moment where you have to give that critical feedback, that constructive set of uh, thoughts. So tell me about your experience and how you've been able to do that. Maybe some of the instruction you might be given to your HR team to help managers do the same. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, there's no getting around it. Constructive feedback and you know tough feedback is hard. It's hard to give. It's hard to receive. And HR is the star of the show when it comes to hard conversations and um, you know having to ask the hard questions or, or give you know you know give the, those hard conversations or the hard feedback. So I think um, in terms of giving feedback, again, I'll go back to uh, you know really important value at IDME. Communicate like a scientist. I think this really rings true when it comes to giving constructive feedback um, to the extent that you're able to give the feedback as real time as possible. Don't let three months pass by the time you, you know, go back and tell someone they didn't meet expectations, but as real time as possible and with clear, tangible, objective examples, that not only allows people to actually really understand what you're talking about and leave no room for interpretation or gray area, make it very clear and, you know, easy to understand, but also easy for them to then go act on, on it. If they are able to understand, you know, what went wrong, they can then act on it better and it's a better outcome for everyone involved. So communicating like a scientist when you're giving those hard conversations, um, I think makes them as effective as possible. When it comes to receiving um, tough feedback, one tip that I received or a piece of advice I received um, that I personally find helpful and share a lot with the team is that when you receive hard feedback, try to not act right away. So, so when you do take action for, for, you know, once you've received hard feedback, don't let it be a reaction, but let it be an actual strategic, you know, action plan that you've developed. Um, and so what I mean by that is, you know, again, receiving constructive feedback is hard. Um, it can be easy to kind of let your emotions come in and drive those, those next steps, but taking time um, once you've received the feedback to thank the person who, who went out of their way to have that hard conversation, and then just give yourself a minute to be able to really let it, you know, sift in and, and digest 
that piece of information. And then you can go ahead and think, okay, now what's next? But you can look at it a bit more holistically with perhaps a clearer head to then decide, um, you know, do you need more information? Are you still confused? Or was it just the flustered in the moment that maybe was confusing? Um, or do you need more information? And what's kind of your action plan to address it? So I think, um, you know, constructive feedback, it's hard to give, it's hard to receive, but it is what drives results and makes people better. Um, and so it's incredibly important to, to do it, um, you know, give it and receive it as effectively as possible. And one of the most interesting pieces of observation that I've had in my career or experiences, I should probably say, is when having those tough conversations, it is interesting. I see people doing one of three things. They either shut down, get quiet, are hurt. And so it's a, a, what I'll call, a re, or, or they'll react with a, you know, I didn't do that or what are you talking about? Or they give mm -hmm. a careful response, so react or respond. And then the last one, which I think is really next level is I need a little time to process what you just shared. So instead of them doing either of those, and sometimes that's when it was the hardest, is yeah. that what you just said just kind of like punched me in the gut. <laughs> I need a little time to process that. Can we schedule a time tomorrow for me to type out my thoughts, give some, some consideration to what you shared? I think that's really a unique tool in receiving feedback and how mm -hmm. to uh, continue the dialogue. Like you said, how do I understand what you're sharing from your constructive feedback? And then how do I do something with that to your point to be strategic about my growth and my role and also as a person? And I think that's really important. So yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of that, that's kind of like a transformation of an individual of here's something we see that maybe isn't going as well as, as we would hope in your role or in, 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 in your core values, whatever you might be talking to them about. So this term of transformation is, is thrown around quite a bit. And I wonder if there's an experience that you've had of truly seeing transformation take place and my guess is it may have something to do with ID me. I don't know because of how much your business is changing, but either at your current employer or in the past, tell me, tell me what that looked like. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, definitely, I would say ID me is in the midst of a really exciting, you know, transformation where it's definitely a rocket ship ride right now. So um, I'll get to that. I'll first take a step back to speak to an example from a prior job of transformation. Um, so prior to ID me, I worked at Uber for about four and a half years and I joined Uber at the very beginning of 2017, which was the very beginning of a tough time for Uber. It was a very volatile period. It was a time in which um, Uber as a company, you know, our company, our business objectives, our culture, our leadership was all under very intense scrutiny and criticism from the media, from the public, um, from people inside the company. It was, you know, things were being kind of flipped on their head and it seemed almost like every week there was something else that kind of came to light that was, you know, disturbing or questionable or, um, you know, really hard to hear. And so it was a time when our entire kind of leadership was, on somewhat shaky grounds and we needed a transformation. We were, you know, at that point far overdue for it. And so there was a period in which, um, 
we didn't have a CEO or our CEO, Travis Kalanick had stepped down and we did not yet have a replacement. And that was actually a really interesting time um, for me not being involved at all in HR to see the way HR stepped in. Um, you know, there's a lot of times when maybe things are going great where you barely even notice HR and that might be, you know, a, a lot of times great for everyone involved, but this was a time when HR was front and center and really taking the reins and kind of navigating us as a company through this challenge and helping us understand where we needed to go and how we needed to get there while also still running a business and, you know, keeping things afloat. And it was a time when the head of HR was often leading our weekly all hands company calls, because again, we didn't have an actual leader. And a lot of our number twos and number threes were either stepping down or taking a step back. And it was a rocky time. And so that's all to say that this was a period in which Uber was undergoing a vast transformation, um, both culturally as well as you know business, like over overarching business goals and objectives were also kind of being looked at and and you know tweaked in a lot of ways. And so it was interesting to then watch kind of our new CEO Dara come in and really steer, you know, have to take hold of the ship and steer us through it. Um, and it was great to get, you know, it was a really great learning experience to be a part of it and watch it happen. Um, we didn't just update our cultural values. We'd got new cultural values, like talk about a cultural transformation. We had a whole new page of here's now what we value as an organization. Organization. Um, all of our managers and, and different leaders were going through, you know, workshops and trainings, and we went all in on kind of overhauling the culture. Um, for the better. We also started building and launching features and products that we had previously taken a really hard stance against, things like tipping, um, things that really defined our, you know, business goals and roadmap totally flipped on its head. Um, so overall, huge transformation. I think um, probably the, the best I can think of an example for that. And, and there's kind of two big takeaways I have from that. One is something that I think Uber did really well and Dara, the CEO, did really well during that time, which is being really courageous in your willingness to own your mistakes and own up to the past. Um, you know, watching Dara oftentimes stand up in front of our whole company, in front of the news, and own up to mistakes that he wasn't even necessarily there for when the mistakes were made or he wasn't, you know, present for and own up to them, apologize for them, say simply, we were wrong. No justification, no excuse, just own up to that. Um, that was something that I really respected was seeing the way that as a leader, when, when things do go awry, it's really important for the leader to own that, even if they weren't there for it or weren't a part of it, but to own that because that is now on you. You are now the leader of the team. And so that was really um, a big takeaway for me. I think Another takeaway, which is something that um, is, again, a learning and not to say that I could have done it any better. I, I couldn't pay me a million dollars to have figured out how Dara did um, what he did during that time. But, but something that I think did pose a challenge was that as we looked ahead to define who we as Uber were going to be and where we were going to go, we spent a lot of time looking in the rear, rear view mirror. We had a lot of news articles coming out looking in the rear view mirror. So who's to say that it was internally or externally driven, but we did spend a lot of time looking at who we were and therefore who we no longer wanted to be. And at times it felt like 
where we were going was purely defined by where we no longer wanted to be. And it almost felt a little bit like at times we lost kind of our identity um, of, of who we actually were as opposed to who we weren't. And so that is something now flash forward. I'm with IDME. And again, we're on this rocket ship ride, exponential growth and kind of well on our way to um, continuing to expand our footprint and our impact. Uh, and I think something that I feel really excited about with IDME and that I definitely want to you know, contribute to here and continue to live out is how strongly we know as a company who we are and what our mission is and, and what we strive to do, who we strive to be. And I think that gives me a lot of excitement and hope as I you know, look towards our future and we're gonna navigate challenges as we grow and expand. But as long as we have clarity from the top down from you know, Blake Hall all the way down to every employee in the organization around that forward looking of, of who we are and what defines us, I think that helps to drive a lot of that connection that you need um, you know, for a successful organization to drive through transformation of that type. Wow, what an awesome story for those of you that have watched the Uber story and all that goes with that. That's uh, obviously they've had another transformation with COVID and all that came with that affecting their business. I know it's a highly debated organization and I'm sure you have a lot more stories that maybe for another podcast we can share, <laughs> but you, you said two things that stood out to me and I heard a guest in the past talk about the visible HR and the invisible HR. So really neat to see HR stand up in that time when there was such a disruption from an executive leadership standpoint. Uh, that was that was really cool. And I also like the forward facing. I think you define yourself a, a lot of different ways, but if you're always looking in your rearview mirror, you can't evolve and change and become what the market needs in the sake of a business, right? Really, your customers dictate what's most important, not necessarily what you think is best. So, all right. So speaking of best, curious of this concept of EQ. And then we'll get into my last question, which is a, 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 a what I'll call pillar for this podcast. So this concept of EQ, emotional intelligence, just curious, Holly, if you have a, a particular example of someone in your life, your business experience that has demonstrated a, a high degree of emotional intelligence and how it has affected the relationships they've been able to establish and this and the results in, in their work life. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so a colleague of mine, Lisa Maynard, is someone who really stands out to me when I think about emotional intelligence. Lisa um, is the chief experience officer with IDME. So she leads our member experience organization, which includes member support, member operations, and member experience. She is um, someone who leads an org that talk about transformation has gone from, you know, under 50 to 1500 in just over a year, I think, it, you know, insane growth. And obviously with any growth of that type comes lots of challenges of just things that you never knew you didn't, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you encounter it day in and day out. And Lisa has navigated, uh, you know, the org through that change and, and led the team through that, that growth trajectory uh, so effectively and so elegantly. And I think it so heavily attributes to her emotional intelligence. The reason that she stands out to me is because often when I think about emotional intelligence, I think about their direct impact that you can 
have when you have emotional intelligence in your interactions with other people, you know, meeting them where they are, being a good listener, you know, there's all types of traits where you can show emotional intelligence in your interactions, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or, one, you know, one to a big group. But what I don't often think about as much, but what I see a lot from her is the indirect impact emotional intelligence can have and how it's so much more than just your communication style with people. It's so much also about how you hold yourself and how you present yourself and how you receive hard feedback or navigate challenges, navigate tough times. Uh, you know, you might not always know that there's an audience or someone's watching, but as a leader, someone is always watching. And she's someone who holds herself so well. She, you know, controls her emotions. I, who knows if she even feels stress, but if you look at her, you wouldn't know. She's just, you know, from, from an outside eye, just kind of so elegantly navigating these challenges and, and this huge growth trajectory. And so I think watching how it, um, you know, she, she is able to loop her team into challenges and, and give them access to input and learnings, but shield them from some emotional impact that might come from turbulent times like that. And so kind of being able to serve as that, it really empowers her team to be willing to take risks or be willing to, you know, give it their all and, and work day in and day out. And so I think that's something that I, you know, it's a big reason I'm excited to work with her and to get to continue to learn from her. Big shout out to Lisa. That's awesome. Thank yes. you for sharing that. That's really cool. So I'll get you out of here on this. Holly, thank you for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. So my last staple question is, how would you describe someone that does HR like a boss? Yes, I love this question. So going back to the first question about, you know, what what does HR mean or what does HR do? And, and that it is that connection point between the business objectives and the personal objectives. To me, what HR like a boss means is finding a way to actually build that connection and drive that engagement in a way that's actually a true you know, connection point between personal and business objectives. I think these days we see a lot happening with perks and benefits. You know, you put an arcade game in the office or give, you know, free alcohol on Fridays and lots of things that maybe drive social connections, um, makes it feel more fun to be at the office, which is great. That's not to say it doesn't have a, a good positive impact, but to the extent that you are able to successfully, um, you know, embed yourself within the business you can then, you know, have your employees live and, and feel that mission day in, day out. I think that's where the real magic happens. It's a reason I'm excited to be at IDME. We're an extremely mission-focused company, and everyone across all teams, all levels knows, again, like who we are, why we're here. And so I think that is what keeps people at a company 10, 20, 30 years and, and drives um, drives them to succeed and, and makes them willing to give what it takes for the better of the team. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I'll start there with my recap. You used the word of embedding themselves into the business. I, I haven't heard that yet, but I'm a huge proponent in the, in the respect of HR being a, an extension of the organization, the leadership team, the managers. So that's really neat. You talked about forward facing uh, in the ability of creating the culture of your business going forward. Also, in, in that spirit of accountability and, and feedback, that courageousness to own mistakes. Ownership is a key component of HR like a boss. You got to own it. You got to love it in order to do it well. So I really appreciate that. I'll combine the ID me value with Brene Brown. Clear is kind communication like a scientist. So taking the combination of being clear as well as using data from a science 
perspective. I thought that was really neat. And you had a term that you use, the culture is what you do. So I loved how that you embed that into what you're doing at IDME. And then really HR being this intersection between the personal aspirations of your employees and the business and its objectives. So Holly, awesome job. What a really cool story. <laughs> I don't know if anybody heard that, but 50 employees to 1,500 in about one year's time. Just imagine that for a second. Uh, there's a <laughs> lot on her plate. So I really appreciated you taking the time to be on today's show. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you for checking out the HR Like a Boss podcast. If it resonates with you, please consider leaving a rating or review. And better yet, subscribe and share with a friend. Until next time, let's continue to aspire to do amazingly awesome HR.